You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Voices for Justice is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics, including violence, abuse, and murder. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Some names have been changed or omitted per their request or for safety purposes. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Sarah Turney, and this is Voices for Justice. Last time on Voices for Justice, we discussed the manifesto found in my father's home when the police raided it. It was titled, The Story of a Madman Martyr. And it went into a lengthy story about how Alyssa was killed by two assassins from the Union, in addition to a ton of other crazy things. This manifesto also outlined how my father planned on using the 26 pipe bombs that were found in our home. In this episode, I will be discussing the trial of the United States of America versus Michael Roy Turney. Originally, my father was facing three counts of unlawful possession of unregistered destructive devices, one count of unlawful possession of unregistered silencers, and one count of attempting to damage or destroy a building by fire or explosives. The Honorable Judge Susan Bolton ruled in my father's case, and the United States was represented by a Mr. David Pimsner, Michael Morrissey, and Paul Rood and my father was for a short time represented by a public defender, Mr. Jeffrey Williams. Mr. Williams was an older man who looked like he had already been around the block on a variety of cases, and I'm sure he knew from the beginning that there would really be no getting my father out of these bomb charges. It was a pretty open-and-shut case. I mean, he was caught red-handed with 26 pipe bombs and a plan to use them. However, My father didn't feel the same way. He wanted to fight the charges. He wanted to argue that the bombs were planted by someone else and that the search warrant wasn't legal to begin with. Like I mentioned in the last episode, during this time, my father had my full support. And I mean full support. I even created him a website, freemichaelturney.com, and a MySpace page explaining how to write Congressman Shattig and urging visitors to sign my petition asking the court to dismiss my father's case due to the search warrant being illegal. Some of these pages are actually still active. But for the ones that aren't, I used waybackmachine.com, a website that shows archived web pages, and I was able to find some of the verbiage I used to defend my father. And as much as I cringe over reading this today, I'm going to read to you the exact argument I was using to defend his innocence. Quote, Michael Turney, veteran, father, grandfather, widower, and former Maricopa County Deputy Sheriff, was arrested and had his home raided by the Phoenix Police Department, ATF, and FBI on December 11, 2008 in Phoenix, Arizona. 
The police told Turney's daughter, who was living with him at the time, that the search warrant was to investigate for evidence pertaining to the missing persons case of his other daughter, Alyssa Turney, that went missing in 2001. The police informed Turney's daughter that they obtained the search warrant by hearsay or word of mouth from estranged family members and a former boyfriend. This action is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. This petition was made to stand up for our Constitution and to help in Turney's case. And I further go on about my father's history, stating, Michael was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, working his way from working at the local Tasty Freeze for 75 cents an hour in the 1960s to becoming a successful family man. From a young age, Michael enjoyed playing music, as did his father, Gene Turney. They performed all around Arizona, all throughout Michael's childhood. Michael married at age 22 and had three boys. Michael later married and met Barbara, who had two children of her own, whom Michael adopted. Shortly after, they had a child of their own. Having raised children for nearly 40 years, Michael enjoyed camping, learning about natural sciences, hiking, hunting, and fishing with his children. Unfortunately, in 1993, Michael's wife died of cancer, leaving him to raise their six children alone. His oldest daughter, Alyssa, unfortunately suffered from a learning disability called attention deficit disorder, causing her much difficulty in school. However, Michael took action to protect Alyssa's rights under the Individual Disability Education Act. Michael devoted most of his time to getting Alyssa through school and helping her with homework. However, it seems as punishment that the Deer Valley School District forced Alyssa to ride the handicap bus, causing her much humiliation and frustration. In addition to this harassment, the physical education teacher solicited Alyssa to wrestle a male without safety equipment for private parts which were injured. Due to this harassment, Alyssa was forced to change school districts. Close to a year after these incidents, Alyssa ran away from home, leaving a note stating that she was heading to California. Michael quickly took action. Alyssa did call home once and quickly hung up in which Michael asked for assistance in obtaining the phone number from which she called from. Unfortunately, the Phoenix Police Department and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children refused to assist in getting the phone number, and Michael was forced to take legal action against the phone company. After discovering the phone call was from California, Michael quickly took the trip to California and distributed flyers, but was unsuccessful in finding information. After this attempt, Michael devoted his time to finding Alyssa, spending over $20,000 in making over 30 trips to California in attempts to obtain information. Unfortunately, the Phoenix Police Department was of very little help throughout most of the case and in fact stated to Michael that he was not allowed to post missing persons posters on any light post in the city of Phoenix. Michael later forced them under the threat of legal action to put Alyssa into the NCIC in order to keep her case open. However, the police were not active in Alyssa's case until several years after her disappearance. Michael sits in Florence Prison awaiting trial in October. Michael is in poor health, suffering from Lyme disease, insufficient blood flow, degenerative neck condition, blood clots, first-stage heart condition, and is still suffering from his 1995 work-related leg injury. Unfortunately, Due to the denial of preventative medicine not available to detainees, his conditions are getting worse. I know, it's pretty embarrassing. But I took what my father told me as fact, and I was focused on getting him out of prison as quickly as possible, while also preparing 
for his impending trial. On February 6, 2009, less than two months after being assigned his public defender, my father filed a motion to have that public defender dismissed, based on the following complaints. 1. Failure to provide adequate and timely paperwork pertaining to the charges against the defendant. 2. Failure to respond to the defendant's request for a bail hearing. 3. Failure to respond to the defendant's request for a motion to accommodate two disabilities after the Corrections Corporation of America stated that they could not accommodate for either mental or physical therapy due to contractual agreement restrictions. 4. Failure to provide due process. And he ends this motion by stating, The defendant has been on disability under the Federal Employees' Compensation Act since 1993, being treated weekly for psychotherapy counseling and antidepressant medications. Furthermore, he also has a left leg injury where he was receiving physical therapy and medication. Again, Corrections Corporation of America only provides minimum medications, not amounting to adequate therapy. And although this motion mentions a lot of things that I feel were out of the public defender's scope of responsibility as well as power, the court complied with this request, which meant I had a lot of work to do. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by June's Journey. I'm pretty sure everyone here loves a good mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. You get to step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. So what does that mean? Well, June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game. Essentially, you find hidden clues and uncover this mystery. But it's also more than that. You can customize your own luxurious estate island, you can join a detective club, and put your skills to the test in a detective league. I like that you can play totally alone, or if you want to play with other people, you can do that too. I find myself playing June's Journey in little breaks during the day, or most frequently at night before I go to bed. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just looking for an escape, I really do recommend June's Journey. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Although Mr. Williams would remain an advisor on the case, meaning that my father could consult with him about legal matters as well as ask for assistance, my father rarely wanted to work with Mr. Williams. So I found him experts to testify in court, and I wrangled what felt like an endless amount of documents for him. But the majority of the work was the insane amount of motions he asked me to file on his behalf. While laying out this episode, I kept a list of every motion filed for a total of 91 different motions. Now, I want to state that I am not a lawyer or a legal professional, so some of these motions were probably valid and a part of normal court proceedings. However... Most were denied by the judge, and I would venture to argue that some are also pretty strange. Now, I'm not going to list all 91 motions in this episode, but I will share some of the motions that stood out to me. The first being a motion of a gag order of the news media, specifically naming the ABC 2020 special that had just recently aired. He also filed a motion to appoint the following experts a handwriting expert, a fire and explosives expert, 
mechanical engineering's and design expert, a psychiatrist to interpret the records of his former psychiatrist, Dr. Harrington, because, quote, the defendant's former psychiatrist was lost to the Phoenix PD tampering with the witness. And the last expert was a weapons expert. We also filed a motion to suppress evidence, requesting that all items found in the home be disqualified from being used as evidence in court due to the way that they were obtained. Again, this was the cornerstone of my father's argument. He says that the search warrant to get in our home was illegal, and therefore anything found in the home could not be used against him in court, including the 26 pipe bombs. We also filed two different motions for subpoena duces tecum, a written order for someone to come to court with relevant documents. In the first motion, we request for his former psychiatrist, Dr. Harrington, as well as the Walgreens Pharmacy, to appear in court with all documents related to his medical care. And in the second subpoena duces tecum, my father requests and writes individual subpoenas for the following 10 organizations. 1. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children 2. The Department of Justice files on the Consolation Agreement signed for whistleblowing in 1993 3. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers 4. The National Labor Relations Board 5. The Federal Labor Relations Board 6. The Department of Energy Western Area Power Administration 7. The Office of Workers' Compensation Program 8. The Department of Army Engineers 9. Arizona Public Service 10. The Merit System Protection Board The next is a motion for order against plaintiffs. Now this one really caught my eye, not so much because of this official title, but more so when I was digging into it and the content because my father actually titles this, quote, Vindictive Prosecution. And it's a lengthy document, so I will just read the parts that I found particularly interesting. So my father starts with facts, and he says, Fact 1 is, quote, Each time the defendant has exercised a constitutional or statutory right, the government has increased the severity of the alleged charges and or threatens additional charges. The second fact states, when the defendant proclaimed his right to an expectation of privacy under the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution, his home was raided using an invalid search warrant. He also says that the court retaliated when he asked for a new attorney by sending him to Seattle, Washington, saying that the plane ride endangered his life. He further goes on to explain the conditions of him actually getting to court, saying that it's a 19-hour day and that this is just being used as punishment for him fighting back in court. And in his closing paragraph in this motion, he basically just says the government has shown an obvious appearance of vindictiveness. And he goes on to say that a ton of his constitutional rights are essentially being violated. And after this, we file the following motions. A motion to disqualify the judge and have a new judge appointed. A motion for my father to be released from custody with medical supervised detention. A motion for a laptop computer to gain access to Westlaw research not available in the prisons. 
a motion to show cause why the Corrections Corporation of America has made his prison doctor, Dr. Song, unavailable for the detention hearing. A motion to show cause why the Corrections Corporation of America is obstructing access to court. And last but not least in my list of odd motions is a motion my father filed asking to actually inspect the bombs, incendiary devices, silencers, and pistols that they say that he used. This episode of Voices for Justice is sponsored by ZocDoc. If you guys have been following my journey on social media, you know that I am in my Sarah era. After everything I've been through over the last couple years, I'm really just focusing on myself and doing that unapologetically. So I have become that one friend in my friend group that loves to treat myself. A lot of the time that looks like a long bath, a face mask, maybe a special foot soak, but I also knew that I needed to make my health a priority. And that's where ZocDoc comes in. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. What I really liked is that all the doctors have verified reviews from actual real patients. You don't have to just guess if they're good. ZocDoc is how I found my new doctor. Go to ZocDoc.com justice and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's zocdoc.com slash justice. ZocDoc.com slash justice. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by Quince. The weather is getting warmer, which means it's time to put away all the sweaters and pants and say hello to shorts and t-shirts. I absolutely was looking to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune. And I went right back to Quince for that. I personally don't love trendy clothes that I have to replace every few months. I am looking to build my solid core collection of essentials. And with the huge selection at Quince, I can do that. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from 30 bucks, washable silk tops, they have jewelry, and so much more. One thing I really love about Quince too is that they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. And they only use premium fabrics and finishes, so you're not cutting any corners when it comes to quality. I've really been trying to play with pairing casual with more upscale pieces. So recently I just matched a silk skirt with this black tee that I just love and fits really, really well. I think it came together pretty cute. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com justice for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot justice to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com justice. Now, due to the vast amount of motions filed throughout the proceedings, the court dates were typically rescheduled. And honestly, I can't even figure out how many there were exactly. But I can tell you that I attended each and every one. The first major court date was on June 12, 2009, where my father entered his plea of not guilty. On November 18, 2009, a detention hearing was held in response to my father filing a motion to be released from prison prior to his impending trial. And although I could read hundreds of pages of transcript from his trial, I'm going to read the part of the transcript retained by the Phoenix Police Department and put into Alyssa's missing persons file, as they deem it to be most relevant to her case. The portion of that transcript reads, 
And you may take the stand, sir. Mr. Turney, you don't have to ask yourself questions and then answer the questions, so I'll let you testify in a narrative form. But if... Are you going to be the objecting and cross-examining attorney, Mr. Pimsner? Yes, Your Honor. If Mr. Pimsner stands, that means he wants to object to something you're saying, and would you please then stop your narrative? I'll hear the objections, rule on it, and then you will continue. Yes, ma'am. So proceed with your testimony. Michael Turney is then sworn. What I have seen so far is evidence that in and by itself, especially count four, does not establish the essentials of that crime, nor did it affect in any way interstate commerce of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, which are two key elements of the crime. There was no direct threats made. There was no... Your Honor, at this point, this is argument. It's not factual testimony. I'm going to sustain the objection. You need to, for this part of the hearing, state facts that you want me to consider on the issue of detention. When you're finished with your testimony, then I'll hear argument where you can tell me what you think the significance of the facts are to the detention and release factors. So it seems like you're starting out telling me why I shouldn't consider certain issues, as opposed to telling me what facts you want me to know about you that bear on the factors I consider. Yes, ma'am. Okay. I have been a resident of Arizona for 61 years. I have served in the military. I have served as a police officer. I have no criminal record whatsoever. I have never been a threat to anyone. I did not make any threats directly or indirectly to the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. I have voted in every election. I have paid my taxes. I have a home. I have a family, with obviously with family support and ties. I have a great need for medical care, vascular being the most significant and most important that could cause serious harm, according to Dr. Spencer, who couldn't be here. And currently I have been with the Corrections Corporation of America for the last 11 months to which I have not had any disciplinary actions. I have not committed any violence towards anyone else. I have had to protect myself. I have shown no aggression towards anyone. And I would not commit any acts while off. That would give me access to Westlaw, so I could at least present my case without having to go through CCA's unusual circumstances, so I can get to the law library. And in all honesty, I have never owned, built, or had a pipe bomb in my life. Nor would I build one nor would I have silencers. I have no need for any of those. What is your explanation for the things that were found in your home? I'm beginning to believe that the case is beginning to show that the Phoenix Police Department probably had my oldest son, Rhett, who was an injector of drugs, that he had access to the house. He had been in the house. As a child, he definitely used my own handwriting many, many times. Again, that's just speculation but I do know that they weren't in there before the Phoenix Police Department got there, but they were there afterwards. As far as the gas cans are concerned, yes, those have always been there. Flares? I've always had flares in my house. But these flares had fuses in them, which I've seen flares before, but never with fuses in them. That makes two of us, Your Honor. I've never seen, and whether or not that would actually work on a flare, most of those take a pretty good spark, depending on the age of them. I mean, I've had fuel around for... I probably should have thrown it away. My housekeeping was terrible, because I got sick and because of the depression and various other things. I have not taken good care of my home. I do know that there was a video. I had turned on that video before I went out to the mailbox to pick up my mail as I always do. And that was recorded. I was recording when they raided my house. 
There was quite a few recordings and conversations between myself and the Phoenix PD showing that I was absolutely cooperative. Objection. Relevance. Sustained. I don't want to go into the history of the PPD and their investigation of the other circumstances regarding your daughter. And basically, that would be it. What is your explanation of what sounds like things that could have exploded and created a large fire in the van in the backyard? The van? I don't understand that one. Three propane tanks, plus a lot of tires and a lot of other flammable debris. Well, tires have to be disposed of in a proper way. You have to either take them to the junkyard, and I hadn't, I couldn't drive it all the way there. So they were just in there as garbage. My daughter had a car and had some tires changed. I had some old tires laying around that I should have thrown away a long time ago. Three propane tanks, as testified, were found. As I recall, some of those had the older nozzles that didn't have the safety devices. They changed the nozzles on the propane. They weren't usable, so they were left out there to get out of the way, because I didn't have room in my garbage or in my garage. As far as using, I'm trying to put it in my own mind how they could be used as a device to explode things. And in all reality, Your Honor, with the clean record that I had, and I have said this statement openly and I'll say it again, but I had the ability to do, you know, and and buy a case of dynamite. Why would I want to do that? If I was going to do something of that nature, I had ATF knows that. I was going to ask him that question and I forgot to. What about the driver's license with your picture on it, with the name Gary Wayne Morris, with an address, as I recall, in Mesa? That in itself is another story. That's why I went to California in 2007. How did you obtain a driver's license with your photo on it and someone else's name and address? That was a gift from my son, Rhett Turney. I told him I was going to run away. I was going to California to run away. So you're saying in 2007 you did, in fact, make some attempts to disappear by getting some false ID And you were going to... Yes. I was going to run away. My daughter was 18, and I decided that I had enough of this. You know, being on Social Security, being sick all the time, I just wanted to leave. What about the wig, makeup, whatever else was found? Halloween. I held a PI license in this state. I was investigating the IBEW, looking to see he's correct on that, but not for what he thought it was. Because after a man named Paul Abbott showed up in my investigation, who was doing electrical work on Paradise Valley High School and then somehow showed up at Jack in the Box where my daughter was working. His name kept popping up, so I wanted to see if he was associated with the IBEW, because he did electrical work. There were references in your report from the evaluation at SeaTac about your having, and I can't remember right now whether it says you said this or whether it was just contained in those writings, something about killing two people. It's just like the whole story is. In fact, the prosecutors have brought it up several times, but it hasn't checked out. It's a fictional story. It's a frustrational story. Is there any significance to you of the date of October 20th, 2008? No, I heard that too, and I have no idea what October 20th, 2008? Yes, it was written in the story. It's a part of it that Mr. Morrissey read. I'm not sure what October 20th would be. All right. We don't have any birthdays on that date. I don't know what it would be. You may continue with any additional testimony. I think that's the best I can do. I would advise myself not to talk anymore. Mr. Pimsner? Your Honor, may I allow Mr. Morrissey to conduct the cross? That's highly unusual. The objector and the questioner are always the same person. Your Honor, I apologize. We got our signals crossed. Okay, don't let it happen again. You can only develop one bad habit today, Mr. Morrissey. Fair enough, Your Honor. Your Honor, may I retrieve the exhibits from the clerk? Yes. 
Mr. Turney, you just talked about whether or not you were a threat to anybody. This is your handwriting in Exhibit 18. You wrote this document, correct? And you have proven that? No, he's asking you, is this your handwriting? I didn't write that. You deny that this is your handwriting? I deny I wrote that, yes. Do you recognize the handwriting? Like I said, I have a son that could write my handwriting all over if he wanted to. That could very well be his. I don't know whose it is. That's why I asked for exemplars. Does it resemble your handwriting? You just said you have a son that could write like you. Well, I could write that bad. Which son do you believe writes handwriting similar to you? My son Rhett writes a handwriting similar to me. Now, Exhibit 19, you wrote that, didn't you? Yes, I did. And Exhibit 19 certainly talks about your plan to wreak vengeance on the IBEW, correct? That's what it speaks in there, yes. And it also speaks about your claim that you murdered two people. Yes. Mr. Turney... It also says I was in Vietnam. Sir, I will ask you the questions. Were you? Were you in Vietnam? No. According to my military records, it says I wasn't there. I'm asking if you were. No. Mr. Turney, in your safe at your house, you wrote, Your Honor, I would ask that this be marked Exhibit 25. Mr. Turney, that's your handwriting, isn't it? That looks like my handwriting. And there was this addressed envelope to ABC News, and inside was this message that this is your last writings, insight into your death, vengeance, and mass murder. And you wrote that. Yes. Was it mailed? Sir, the way this works, I will ask you the questions. You respond. You'll have a chance after I'm done cross-examining you to, again, on redirect, give whatever statements you wish. Do you understand that? Yes, yes. The answer to my question is yes, you wrote that document, correct? Correct. Also contained within your safe was a very similar letter written to NBC News, correct? Correct. And in those envelopes were zip drives, which are small devices that plug into computers that can remove a whole lot of content, correct? That's correct. And on those zip drives were your writings that refer to why you were targeting the IBEW, correct? If you print out what's on the zip drives, that's what you had the capability of mailing ABC and NBC News. The capability? I'm... Let me rephrase it. Let me ask it this way, Mr. Turney. Did you include within these envelopes zip drives? I don't remember that. Did you intend to send... Wait, let me rephrase it. Did you put in this envelope some type of electronic storage medium that had the story on it that starts the story of a madman martyr? No, I didn't. Do you have any explanation as to how the zip drives, if they were there, got inside these envelopes inside your locked safe? No, ma'am, I don't. For the record, Your Honor, to be clear, Exhibit 25... I realize it's both envelopes, both letters, but not the zip drives? Thank you. I still object to it because it wasn't mailed. I mean, it was just a fantasy. The objection is overruled. 25 is admitted. What is the last writings that are referred to in this piece of paper that was in the envelope? The last writings? Read it. It says, inside this envelope, you will find my last writings. What are the last writings you were referencing in this letter? I didn't put any last writings because it never got finished. I understand you to say you didn't put any last writings, but... What were the last writings that you were referring to? There weren't any because I didn't do them. So you had not made your last writings? No, ma'am. Mr. Turney, on December 11th, 2008, when you went out to check your mail, you did not know that a Phoenix SWAT team was waiting for you and was going to encounter you, correct? No. In terms of your physical capabilities, you were sufficiently healthy on December 11th, 2008 to leave your house and walk out to your mailbox in front of your house, correct? I wouldn't say sufficiently healthy. 
You made it to the mailbox, correct? No. How far did you get, sir? I got to the back of my truck. And you were walking on your own power that day, correct? That's correct. And when you went out to check your mail, you had armed yourself with two firearms which were both loaded, correct? That's correct. And you have a concealed carry permit, correct? That's correct. And as you went out to check your mail, those weapons, both firearms, were concealed, I believe, underneath your clothing, is that correct? That's correct. And you had seven loaded magazines with you, correct? No, I did not. You had the loaded firearms, we agree on that. Yes, we do. But you deny you had the other loaded magazines. That's correct. Do you know where the ones that I saw in the picture, other than two that were in the guns, came from, the other five? I have no idea. I usually carried an extra mag for each one, but that's all I've ever carried. So your recollection is that the day you might have had a total of four, two in the guns, and two extras on your person when you went out of the house? Yes, ma'am. Mr. Turney, this is Exhibit 20. That's your rifle, isn't it? That's correct. And the magazine right there, that was a loaded magazine in your house, correct? Yes. And that fits that rifle? Yes. Now, we've talked, you've testified a little bit about how you would behave if released. And as I understand your testimony, your family, your son Michael and Sarah, would be a help to you if you were released and you were no threat to them. Is that fair? That's fair. But your son hasn't lived with you at your house for about six years, correct? That's correct. So in terms of if the court were to pursue whether there would be any guarantee of good behavior if you were released, your son Michael, not living with you, couldn't really provide that, correct? That's correct. But my son John could. And we'll talk about your son John. Your, your son John is living at the house right now? With my grandson. Right. How old is your grandson? He's three. And my understanding is that your daughter Sarah is also living at the house now. Is that fair? Yes, she is. Okay. Would it be fair to say that as you raised your family, you were the authority figure in your household? Yes. In light of your status as the authority figure, why should the court be persuaded that your children, over whom you're an authority, could control your behavior? Because I raised my children to be independent. I allowed my children to disagree with any kind of rules I might have had. They were allowed to question that. They make their own thinking, and my children often disagreed with me. Well, in terms of your children's independence, your son Michael testified that he does not enter your bedroom. Do you recall that? That day he didn't, yes. Well, Michael testified to that. He doesn't enter your bedroom. Do you recall that? Yes. And certainly you have the respect of Sarah and Michael? That's correct. And Sarah also does not spend a great deal of time in your bedroom. Is that fair? That's correct. So if you were released to possess explosive devices within your bedroom, there really isn't anybody living with you who could scrutinize that. Is that fair? I wouldn't say it's fair. My understanding is that you took everything out of the house. There should be nothing left in the house. The house is clean of all that. Well, they took all of the things they found in during the search out of the house. Correct. And the issue, sir, would be your capability to produce new and additional explosive devices. So my question is, given, assume that capability of yourself. If you're undisturbed in your bedroom, there is no one, Michael, not Sarah either, who would scrutinize your behavior within your house. I don't understand the question. You mean scrutinize to see if I'm building bombs or something? Yes, within your bedroom. Oh, I believe that they would watch me like a hawk. But your belief that you're telling the court about now is not based on past experience because in the past your bedroom was a zone of privacy. You're the father. 
Okay, this is really not helpful, Mr. Morrissey. Let me move on, Your Honor. Mr. Attorney, you in 2007 performed certain preparations to start over, start a new life, is that correct? I had intended on running away, but I didn't. That's fine. Your capability of running away included false identification and your possession of a disguise, material like a wig, clothing, face paint. Fair enough? Some of that was Halloween costume stuff. And it wasn't mine either, but yeah, that's fair enough. The agent testified to his review of surveillance video, and in that video there are close-ups of an individual getting out of their car at the Union Hall and close-ups of things like license plates. You took that video, didn't you, sir? Yes, I did, during my investigation of Steve Spear and Gary Maynard. But you photographed more than just one individual, sir. Yes, I did. I was looking for Paul Abbott. Nothing further, Your Honor. Thank you, Mr. Morrissey. Do you have any other testimony you wish to give, Mr. Turney? No, I think I've probably said more than I should have, Your Honor. But I don't know any other way to approach things. This media blitz of the molestation, the bombs, I mean, this thing has just been overwhelming to a point of painting a picture of someone that doesn't exist. And whether it's, it's not delusional. It's not paranoia that this thing existed, and writing fantasy stories doesn't mean that someone's going to do it. If it did, there'd be a whole lot more going on than this. Why don't you go ahead and step down? Thank you. On January 14th, 2010, my father files a complaint against his judge, stating the following. This case is about a conflict with the IBEW Local and International Union that began in 1978. The defendant winning a Whistleblower Act retaliation against the U.S. government in 1993, my missing daughter Alyssa Turney, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, the FBI refusing to investigate criminal activity of organized crime in the IBEW, and two dirty Phoenix PD cops who lied to a judge to get a search warrant alleging that my daughter was murdered and molested to plant gang-type plastic bombs in my house, then use the media to sell the whole thing, making grandiose false accusations of molestation slash murder of a stepdaughter and the largest bomb factory in the history of Arizona, which Judge Susan Bolton has accepted in part as an axiom because she believes everything the police officer states, even if they swore the planet Earth was flat, making her ineffective to administer the business of the court without extreme bias, which has not only corrupted my case and denied my constitutional rights to a speedy trial, discovery, bail hearing, or timely detention slash release hearing for 11 months, but endangered my life at least four times by denying and striking my motions to prevent four lengthy airplane rides to Seattle, Washington for a mental competency evaluation that could have been held cheaper and without a six-month delay. In 2005, Judge Bolton was assigned a case I filed against the Department of Labor and Department of Justice for violating my constitutional rights to due process in an administrative process for two work-related injuries caused by IBEW members on federal jobs, both of which were national security-related in 1993 and 1995. She dismissed the case, refusing to address the constitutional issues separately from the criminal violations, believing everything the government lied about, not reviewing in a favorable light of the movement. Yet it is permitting the government in my criminal case to submit evidence relating to the 1978, 1993, 
1995, union-related incidents to convict, while refusing me the same right, displaying extreme bias and or prejudice towards one party in the proceedings. Though I had requested a detention hearing or release from custody as early as December 17, 2008, she failed to provide one until November 18, 2009, at which time I was in solitary confinement for issuing a subpoena to the Corrections Corporations of America, medical and physician records, and filing grievances approximately 20 days before the hearing that denied me two key witnesses and access to the CCA Law Library to prepare for the hearing or she ignored a constitutional complaint of being denied access to the court declaring a civil matter separate from her criminal proceedings. Judge Bolton denied me an investigator and expert in explosives in time for the November 18, 2009 hearing, knowing that the court's assigned advisory council, that was once my alleged public defender, was refusing to assist me. Yet, she has refused to remove him at my request with properly filed motions. The conflict between the court-appointed attorney, now advisory counsel, is irreparable since he has refused to proceed with the defense strategy I wanted. I wanted to attack the search warrant, to protect the evidence seized by the Phoenix Police Department illegally, and go to trial in the 70 days as mandated by the government's case, which was still under investigation by the Phoenix PD as chief investigator which Judge Bolton is refusing me access to the evidence as the government is now planning to use against me or even in camera review to preserve the same for my appeal, beyond manifest error to a constitutional error that will alter the trial outcome and future appeal as well, again, displaying the extreme prejudice that she believes the media hype. Judge Bolton participated in a felony under 18 U.S.C.A. Section 1512 pertaining to CCA staff, Corrupting Francis Song alleges CCA physician to evade a service and subpoena for the November 18, 2009 detention release hearing. That is punishable by a fine and 20 years in prison. On September 14, 2009, I filed a motion to disqualify Judge Bolton, in which she ignored the mandate that she proceed no further. Therein another judge shall be assigned to hear the proceedings. She continued to rule on motions then ruled on my motion, declaring that she was not prejudiced. This showed her bias and or prejudice against pro se litigants. During the November 18, 2009 hearing, the judge stated that the hearing would be conducted less formal, then sustained all government objections. While changing or interrupting my line of questioning to a degree that it will alter the points I was trying to get on the record, she denied all of my objections. Judge Bolton has violated the defendant's constitutional rights to a speedy trial, effective counsel, timely hearing under the Bial Reform Act, in-camera evidentiary and or evidentiary hearings unnecessarily endangered my life for her own political agenda based on shock and awe of the media hype on an innocent citizen who is being denied access to the court and adequate medical care in which she has declared a civil matter. And my father signs it, Michael Roy Turney. And two months later, on March 30th, 2010, my father, Michael Roy Turney, enters a plea of guilty to unlawful possession of unregistered destructive devices. Next time on Voices for Justice. And on April 1st, 2010, the FBI puts out a statement titled, Michael Turney Pleads Guilty to Possessing 26 Pipe Bombs. 
and these professionals provided the following statement. Upon extensive review of the defendant's history, his mental health records, investigative reports, along with other materials, they concluded that prior to his arrest, he presented a high risk for engaging in violent and dangerous behavior, and that since that time, the risk factors have actually increased. Good luck, Mike. We'll keep looking for your daughter. If you change your mind, you know where to contact us. Yeah, right. You keep looking, morons. I need to extend a huge thank you to everyone who participated in this episode. First, to Stephanie Harlow for playing Judge Susan Bolton. Stephanie Harlow is a YouTuber who shared Alyssa's story on her channel some time back. She produces amazing, detailed content, and the way she tells the story of my father killing the two assassins is my favorite retelling of the story. I will link her channel and that video in the show notes. Next is Keith Murray for playing Mr. Pimsner. Keith is actually a witness you'd heard from in a previous episode. He was at my home the night before the raid and is a huge support to me. And I have to thank Mr. Scott Fuller for playing the role of Mr. Morrissey. Scott has also covered Alyssa's case on his show, Status Pending, and he also hosts a podcast called Frozen Truth. He is amazing, and of course, his links will also be in the show notes. Voices for Justice is hosted, produced, and edited by me, Sarah Turney. If you want to learn more about Alyssa's story and how you can help with the case, visit justiceforalyssa.com. And if you love the show, it would really help if you gave me a rating and review in your podcast player. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you next time.